creator that I follow on YouTube recently um, has been re-uploading some of his old content. Um, he's an interesting artist. He does do erotic audios, but he also does um, ASMR um, roleplay audios. But what I found him for and wound up, you know, investigating his other work because of was uh, his rambles, his storytelling rambles, and he's Irish, uh, so I can't hold a candle to his storytelling, but I, the recent video that he just re-uploaded, and I'll post a link in the episode notes, if your app allows you to see the episode notes, you should find a link to his video, which inspired this audio um, there. But he, it was a set of three stories in this particular audio, and one was about um, the death of a grandfather and I'm not sure, um, how fictionalized they are. Uh, I know he keeps pretty anonymous as to his true identity. Um, but so I'm not sure how much is fiction, how much is creative nonfiction, how much is, um, you know, embellished or whatever, just to, to protect that. But it's three fabulous stories, whether they're true or not. Um, they're wonderful stories and wonderfully told, but it, it um, reminded me of a column that I wrote in January of 2018 when I was working as a reporter and a columnist at my local newspaper. Um, you know, I wrote that column every week, um, pretty much without fail every single Saturday for about three years. So I racked up a decent little body of work, um, you know, some columns better than others, but this is by far the best column that I ever wrote. I wound up writing it completely on the fly. It took me all I had been thinking all week of what I was going to write about. And I had actually written, spent the better part of an evening writing, um, a, pr a previous, um, intended submission for that evening to go the following morning, um, in the lifestyle section. But, um, I took a break, came back, uh, went to dinner with my family, came back with this story. And it just, um, I was talking in one episode of the podcast about, um, I think it was Cody Elms and I were discussing, you know, the difference between writing and a medium like podcasting. And what I love about the podcasting is that the element of voice is so unadulterated. Um, so I think when Aaron Stearns was on episode 10, I believe we were talking about Hunter Thompson and how his voice is sort of a, a character in and of itself, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, you can never mistake a Hunter Thompson essay for anyone else. Um, and, and the boy, the story itself would not, um, pack the punch that it does without his specific voice. Um, so the reupload of, of prior content with this other creator, um, and then the, the conversations that have been sort of germinating. And, um, once I have a conversation with someone, it sticks with me and I, I chew it over then for a few days afterwards. So, between the conversations, um, on the podcast and then the, uh, recent re-upload of this particular video, um, it just, I wanted to dig that column back out and I really wanted to read it. Um, I just wanted to see how different, um, how different the story feels spoken, uh, rather than written. Um, and I'm not going to read it word for word. So I will also post a link in the episode notes to this, uh, particular column, which you should still be able to read on the, on the newspaper's website. Um, but I am going to just use it as sort of a guide. So let me pull it up. It's called his favorite diner. And I wrote it, uh, January, January 27th of 2018. It came out. 
and my I had had themes for each month for one year, um, and then I sort of switched it up the following year. And this particular year, I was going with one theme for each month. And the month of January, I had decided would be um, tiny, magnificent moments. I think in one column, I had written about a video that had gone viral that was about a snowy owl and a fox sort of playing in the snow. And the the interaction was just sort of beautiful and haunting. It was dark. It was at night. It was like a security camera on the outside of a public building. And it was just this sweet little moment. So I wrote about that for one of my tiny, magnificent moments. Another one I remember I had gone into our district justice, which um, you can be married by a judge um, if you want to. It's a very informal thing. You just go down to the district justice and basically uh, it's a it's a legal um, ceremony. Um, a lot of people just, just do that, especially older people, second, third marriages, they just kind of do that. And then they still have like a big reception, but they don't prioritize the ceremony, um, which I think is kind of cool. But I had been in there as a reporter. I was in there often, you know, if there was a docket that we were looking into or, you know, someone had been charged with something that was newsworthy, um, for the cops and court report section of the paper, um, so I was in there and I had seen a couple who I'm pretty sure had gone in and gotten married. And a lot of times you go in there, you see, you know, people waiting to be arraigned, which is means they've just been arrested and now they're being formally charged. Um, so they're waiting in the office, often handcuffed with a, with a police officer. You'll see people from the jail coming for different, um, proceedings between the time that they're sentenced and the time that they're released it's just, um, or the time that they're charged and the time that they spend in jail. Um, so it's not always like a super chipper place. It was never, you know, traumatic or anything to have to go in there, but it's not an exciting, fun place. It's generally a kind of a bummer. Um, but it was neat to see two people having a great time and be like happy. They were super, super excited. You could tell, and it was just a sweet little moment. So that was another tiny, magnificent moment that I wrote about, um, <clears throat> this particular month of this year. Um, but th the third one that I wrote about was, uh, my grandfather's death which is the third um, story in this other creator's video that I had mentioned that sort of inspired me to do an audio for the story. Um, and he, he framed it. So his is framed um, within the narrative of it being um, like a scenario, um, presumably a date um, in Ireland. And so there's that fictional narrative, but within the frames, he tells these three stories and he'll dip back into the sort of the date scenario and go back into the role play. But then he goes really kind of seamlessly into these three really cool stories, um, fantastic stories and fantastically told. Um, and I can never hold a candle to his storytelling. He's Irish. Um, I'm not, uh, but, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to translate this column into an audio because I think that hearing it told um, we'll give it a different kind of facet that I think would be fun. So, um, and so the, I sort of framed the story of my grandfather's death in a column that would started and ended with me going to dinner with my family. I had needed a column idea. I had a crappy column started, went to dinner, came back that evening just before deadline. I mean, I threw this thing together in 15 minutes and that experience of, um, sort of a break in not writer's block, but writer's, um, deep mud. <laughs> uh, that was the tiny magnificent moment that I used to frame the story of my grandfather's death. But 
the story of my grandfather's death, um, to understand that you have to understand my grandfather and grandmother, um, you know, my family, and I'm not going to go into it and I'm not going to put a lot of emotion into this statement, but my, you know, especially on that side, there's a lot of generational mental health issues, a lot of generational poverty, um, you know, generational domestic issues. Um, so my grandmother sort of, when she met my grandfather, there was a clash of cultures. Um, my grandfather came from a very, um, strict German upbringing. Um, and I'm not trying to generalize, but I'm just saying it was very, um, you know, it was not a playful childhood. I think that he had, um, and there was a lot of emphasis on, I think, um, when most people came here from another country, especially at that time, there was this pressure to assimilate and to look and act and behave and think, or at least pretend to look and act and behave and think as the people who were here before you. The funny thing about that logic is that the people here who were here before you were also immigrants, um, back to the beginning of things, um, which could be a whole ramble on its own. But, um, so my grandmother came from this kind of rough and rowdy crowd into this, um, sort of, it was like a step up. Um, and so they were just very stern, very quiet, um, very strong and, um, even imposing, but quietly, you know, um, um, but they loved each other, God. And, you know, my grandma had a lot of issues with my grandfather's family through the majority of their marriage. It wasn't, um, an easy relationship, um, for her with his family through a 50 year marriage, basically right up to the end. But, um, they loved each other so much. And in, I think Mandy's episode, episode eight, I talked about how, um, like he would do little things for her. Like if she needed gas in her car, he'd go out for a Saturday drive, and wash her car and fill her tank for the week, you know, and it was, it was a super boomer-esque, super, um, warden June type of deal, um, which is not necessarily something I aspire to, but that's sort of, um, positive regard and respect, um, rather than grand gestures. I think like they are my ideal for what a relationship should be. So my grandmother died in 2000, the year 2000. Um, she died of lung cancer. She died at home. We had hospice. That's part of the reason that I'm a hospice volunteer now. I um, volunteer with my local hospice agency to sit with families, to sit with people who are actively dying, um, and also to work in our hospice residence, which is really cool. That also would be another great little bonus ramble. Um, maybe someday I'll do that. But so she died in 2000 and she said like right before she died, um, I've been told by my mother, she, uh, went through and she stocked up on like paper towels and toilet paper. I don't think he bought new household, like dry goods for like a year after she passed away. Like she prepared him for her loss. And she had told my mother at that time, um, he won't live past five years and he'll die of a broken heart. So that was the first little, um, sort of, it's a weird, it's a, it's a warm, sweet story, but it's sort of spiritual and I'm agnostic. So it, I clash with that a little bit, but it's, um, interesting little coincidences and synchronicities in the story that I can't explain. And I think that's why I love them. 
Um, but in any case, she predicted that he would pass away within five years of her death and that it would be because of a broken heart. And I always think when I think of their marriage, I think of like birds, a lot of birds mate for life, um, pair off for life. And when one is gone, if, you know, you see one hit on the road or one has died, often you'll see the other um, standing near it. Um, birds, crows especially, have this amazing like social structure. Um, there's a fantastic documentary, The Secret Life of Crows. I think you can find it on YouTube, um, but definitely check that out. But I think of them as... I would think of a pair of birds when one dies, the other one just never really is the same. Um, and that was true for them. My grandfather was never the same after that. Um, we live in a, we live in a very rural area. Uh, so he didn't do a whole lot. He had worked his whole life. He was in retirement and he mainly visited his kids and grandkids, um, came and went. He went to breakfast at a, at a restaurant here locally called the pepper mill, um, except for the children of, you know, older generations, there aren't a lot of people who go there except for the older folks. Um, so it, it was kind of this neat little nostalgic place that my family has always considered one of our family restaurants. Um, and one time when he was there, he ran into a woman who, who was about their age, um, a peer of theirs, a local. And that's, that's the thing about that generation, the older um, our, I'm 36, but like my grandparents ages, that generation, um, they, the friends that they went to high school are the friends that for the majority, uh, stayed in town, worked locally and lived their whole lives and started families and had this very traditional, um, sort of pastoral thing, um, working class, definitely a blue collar area, economically sort of depressed, but just that very, um, boomeresque nostalgic image for them. So for the most part, after my, um, grandmother passed away for those five years, um, he didn't really do a whole lot. He went to the pepper mill. He came and went, visited his kids, my parents, my mother, um, you know, the grandkids, me and my cousins. Um, but he, he stayed pretty local and he pretty much, he was in retirement he just was doing his little thing. Um, but, he had decided, and this was so weird. I remember when he and my uncle told the family that they had decided they were going to go to bike week. I couldn't really believe that my grandpa was even going. He never had any interest in the world outside of Warren County. Uh, he never, he had grown very, um, distressed and, um, burdened by the social changes that he'd witnessed in his lifetime. That was always a, a real, stressor for him emotionally, um, anxiety runs in our family and he, he is the picture of it for our family. He would describe it just as you would read in the DSM. I mean, he laid up at night just thinking about stuff and stuff that stuff that he had no control over, you know, world issues. Um, Aaron Stern's episode 10, talks about it a lot. And I recognize in him talking about it, not just my grandfather, but myself, um, just really ruminative and internal. And he just was never the same after my grandma passed away. So when he said he was going to bike, we were all kind of like, okay, um, all right. So he and my uncle were, you know, getting ready to go. The time was coming up and it was going to be about time to leave. And they were at breakfast one morning at the pepper mill and they encountered this woman and she stopped. If you're ever eating there, um, you'll see people, you know, it doesn't matter when you go or what time of day, what day of the week, 
um, what time of the year you're going to see someone you know and they're going to stop at your table and chit chat for a minute before either they go to their table or as they're leaving. It's going to happen and you're going to witness it um, numerous times throughout your meal. It's just a really cute little, um, cute little scene, no matter when you go in there. But this woman stopped at their table and she said to him, what goes to Florida stays in Florida. So fast forward, uh, my uncle and my grandfather have gone to bike week. They're having a great time. Um, and my uncle told me after he'd gotten back that the night, um, the last night there in Florida, he and my grandfather had gone to this like diner, this fifties diner. Um, I know some of you are overseas, so it's like a theme restaurant, everything, all of the decorating, all of the ambiance, everything is sort of created to feel like you're walking into the 1950s. So it's a fifties diner theme. Um, and my uncle said that they had gone there for dinner that last night that they were in Florida and it, my grandpa was just thrilled with the place. He was pointing at stuff and laughing at stuff and, you know, remembering things, um, from, you know, his years and years of life, his decades of life. Um, it was just kind of all right there in front of him. And he, he was really just thoroughly laughing and enjoying himself, which was not something that we saw my grandfather do. Um, and that's what I mean. Um, when I describe him as this angry German guy, he was neither angry nor, you know, I don't even know what I mean by German, except to say that sort of austere, stiff upper lip, um, stereotype. And I hate to use it, but it was so, um, particularly true about my grandfather. Um, he embodied that, uh, so they were having this great time and my uncle said they were leaving the restaurant. They were going back to their hotel for the night and my grandfather dropped in the median of a highway. Um, by the time the ambulance got there, my uncle said my grandfather was gone. He had a brain aneurysm and died, but he died doing this completely out of character thing on this sort of adventure that he'd never taken in his life, but especially not since my grandmother had died. He had been sort of like a broken hearted bird whose mate had died and just sort of lost in the world. Um, not really tethered any longer. And, um, he just went completely out of his shell, went to bike week. Um, you know, he had this amazing last hurrah and he died, um, thoroughly enjoying himself. And that's what makes it such a, such a palatable <laughs> um, story that I can look back on fondly, but, um, you know, fast forward, my uncle flies back, flies my grandfather's body back for his funeral. Um, and they're at the funeral. It's a, again, for those of you who are overseas, I don't know what situations you typically encounter there, but it's basically a traditional funeral. Here is a big Victorian home basement is where the uh, mortician prepares a body. Um, first floor is, you know, viewing areas in, in funereal space. Um, and then the, the upper floors, the top two to three floors is generally where they live. So it's like a two to three story house on top of this business. It's, but there's a casket laid out in the room. Um, the family lines up and you'll have one or two nights where it's just viewing. So anybody who's sort of tangentially and informally, associated with the family and wants to pay their respects can come to the viewing. You just sort of walk through, view the body, pay your respects to the family and go. Um, and then the 
formal services the the final day um and usually culminating in a reception but that's tends to be for people who are more formally associated um and that was the case for my uncle's my family's um funeral that's how we like to roll funeral time um so this woman who had stopped and told my grandfather at the pepper mill that day before they left, she had said to him, you know, their conversation culminated in this statement of hers that what goes to Florida stays to Florida. And she hugged my uncle. Um, and my uncle had told me when she leaned in to hug him, she told him I had the strangest dream the other night. And it was that you and Burdette were in this fifties diner in Florida. And he was, the happiest I think I've ever seen him in his entire life. Um, but then this woman came in and she said, I couldn't see the woman's face. She was like a shadow, but in the dream, this woman came in and your father stood up and put his arm around her and they walked out. And she said, that was the moment that I woke up. And she said the next morning I read his name in the obituaries. Um, And I still try to make it a priority every day in my cognitive day to seek out tiny, magnificent moments ever since I, I mean, I always, I think did before. And that's part of the reason that I became a writer. That's just how my brain works. I I notice those things, but ever since writing that particular set of columns in January of 2018, I've tried to make it a bigger part of my intentions each day. Um, and both the story of how I came to collect that story formally and, and the story of my grandfather's death itself, um, are really, uh, representative of exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. So, um, I just wanted to upload the story in an oral fashion just because I'm having fun playing with the I've always been a writer a traditional writer um, and a writer of literary work so you know personal essays um, memoir style writing and then literary fiction so this is a new medium for me and I'm sort of just investigating um, the the differences in in oral versus written storytelling Um, but I thought it made a fun little post so Hopefully that's fun bonus for you. Um, and that's the story of my grandfather's death.